race is on and it looks like heartaches and the winner loses all. Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in what I've been calling the San Diego Bungalow, a long way from the Brooklyn Bunker. We'll be back in the bunker next week, but happy to be here with you. The weather has turned. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, and I'm kicking it off by doing a little bit of podcasting. We didn't want to take any time off. Had a full slate of shows for this week. I know from past experience just with myself, it's nice to have your podcast to listen to over holiday weekend. Not that there's anything wrong with lovely time with family, but you know whether you need a little break from that or you're out uh, walking the dog, we aim to please here on the In The Money Network and hopefully to help us come up with some winners and provide some entertaining minutes of podcasting. I'm going to bring in the regular co-host of this show. He is Windstar Farms, Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Doing great, Pete. Happy Thanksgiving to you, your family, and all the listeners. Hopefully, uh, if you were in Kentucky or New York or wherever you were, you were able to stay warm and out of the weather. And sounds like if you're in San Diego, you got to uh, enjoy. But I, I, wasn't there a lot of rain? Oh, it was, it was brutal. There? Dude, it yeah, has been cold. Surf down the street. <laughs> cold and rainy here for two days. Not what we signed up for. But we planned it very, very well, Sean. So we had it where we got all our warm weather activities in. We've been here since last Saturday, got all the warm weather activities in, and then we, we saved Wednesday during the storm as a, uh, as a movie day. We got to see Frozen 2. Perrin, very, very excited by Frozen 2. And, you know, the other thing they're known for out here, in addition to sunshine and horse racing and all that stuff, there's a few good breweries. So I made sure that we spent some of the rainy days uh, playing fun games at the at some of the local breweries. So I have nothing to complain about. And now we're back to the good weather. There's actually some tremendous racing here Saturday, Sunday. I think there's something like seven stakes races. There were originally going to be some stakes races today. Uh, they ended up carting all dirt for today, figuring they'll let things dry out. But good stuff. We didn't. We, we ran out of shows in which to uh, in which to profile the, the the San Diego stakes races. We're going to spend our time a little bit later in the show talking about this uh, fantastic day of two-year-old racing at Churchill. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you generally about some breeding industry news, and we'll start off with the one that had social media going absolutely crazy, the news that California Chrome is going to be moving to Japan. We'll start off with the simple, uh, from a business point of view, why you think this happened for a horse whose runners haven't even hit the track yet. And then I'll ask you about, uh, we'll drill down a little bit deeper and talk about this. But but at the first order, why did this happen? Well, not to speak for, for somebody else, but I, I think um... – uh, the comments from the from TaylorMade were were point on, and uh, the fact that you know, their stallions, as are many stallions in Central Kentucky, are owned by a, a syndication and, and shareholders, and and when you have these offers come in, it's it's the syndicate manager's responsibility to present these offers to the syndicate and and to vote. And certainly, I don't know what the price is. Uh, but it must have been a, a healthy price for, for the syndicate to uh, accept to pay. And, and Japan's been extremely active in not only buying, you know, yearlings and two-year-olds and lots of really nice young race mares and brood mares, but uh, they've also been active over the last 
several years uh, of buying not only young horses that uh, are just getting off to their to their career in, in some uh, stallion markets like American Patriot, Grade One winner and Creator, uh, Belmont Stakes winner that they bought before uh, to go stand over there, but they've also been buying. Uh, horses that uh, have already stood here in America and uh, have proven that they can get you runners or, or horses like California Chrome that uh, still have uh, their first runners to come. But uh, obviously Japan is a, a very active market and uh, they wanted the horse. They must have come and made a, a very generous offer. Do you see it as any kind of repudiation of his ability as a sire or without knowing the numbers, is there really no way to evaluate that? Um, certainly, I don't have, you know, how many mares he bred in front of me. This, this seems like it was uh, uh, certainly a, a, a financial uh, and a business decision. Uh, anytime that you have to make these difficult decisions uh, when horses are still in, in flux, um, it can be difficult. So, I mean, it, it is, it's a business and, uh, you, you know, you have to be able to put aside, uh, emotions and, and, and that, and, uh, make the best business decision. And, and certainly that's what the syndicate in their opinion made. And it certainly doesn't preclude the opportunity for him to come back at some point. I don't know the specifics of the deal, but in your experience, I mean, we've seen we've seen this happen all number of ways where a horse will go and they'll have their entire stallion career and then come back once they're pensioned to uh, be a tourist attraction in Kentucky. And we've seen horses uh, be recruited back uh, on another financial deal to actually uh, produce babies here in the mm -hmm. States. What, what goes into what goes into those different situations? Well, I think, you know, part of it is, is the landscape of, of our commercial breeding business right now and uh, a little bit of lack of patience in both buyers and breeders. And it's what have you done for me now? And, you know, I mean, it takes two years from the time that you made a mare to a stallion to the time where you presented to the to the auction or, or in the case of racing a horse two and a half, almost three years from the time of conception to the time where you can get them to the racetrack. So it's you know, horse breeding is, is not an overnight uh, decision or uh, circumstance, but it does certainly seem like the patience and the breeding uh, game and, and the buying game has has diminished. And it, it forces these stallion farms and Windstar is not excluded from having to make some of these decisions, not giving horses maybe that chance to get through um, lulls in their commercial um prowess you know a uh, great example what we did was take charge indy was was bought and, and taken to korea and in most of these deals you do have some type of clause in there and we were able to enact a clause after he had runners and successful runners and now the commer american commercial marketplace is craving for the horse to be back and and we see how many mares are getting booked to him daily now um this is something that could also be done possibly with california chrome we've seen empire maker come back we've seen the hair come back. I mean, these horses leave and come back, uh, but it's the American breeders and buyers that are forcing these stallion farms to to be more aggressive in, in moving these horses along. Uh, you know, I mean, this week we, we announced, on you know, Super Saver and Daredevil were were bought and they're going to uh, Turkey as, as well as Bodemeister. And that's a, that's another emerging market. And they're hungry for American stallions and um, 
you know, but the fact is Daredevil has first two year olds and, and the American marketplace said they didn't want to breed to him. They only bred 21 mares last year and he wasn't getting many, many phone calls this year, although he's had some good winners. He's had some stakes horses. And, um, but if, if nobody's going to breed to him, um, it is a business and you have to make those decisions. And, and like I said, to start the, these horses are syndicated and, and the shareholders are, are the, are the ones who, you know, do they want to continue to, to pay bills on a, on a horse, uh, that nobody will breed to or, or take the opportunity to, to sell the horse. And, and that's the decisions that, uh, that they make. It would be a host fail of me if I didn't push at least a little bit talking about Super Saver. Obviously, you're somebody who understands marketing, and I would think he would have an immense uh, residual marketing value to a place like Windstar to be able to have your Derby winner on display. It seems to me like that could potentially be worth something more than money. So when it comes to a horse like that that has such an important attachment to a place like Windstar, is it it's does that get factored into the equation at all? Or is it really at the end Abs- of the day, just dollars and cents? Abs- absolutely. This was not the first time that we've been approached to, to sell the horse. But as I said, you know, Windstar is not the sole owner of, of Super Saver. The horse is syndicated. And it's the shareholders who have the right to vote to sell the horse. And as much as it painstaked Windstar to sell the homebred derby winner, the, the syndicate made the choice. And, um, you know, if he was breeding 120 plus mares a year, or or could stand for 20,000 or, or more, and, and and we'd love to keep him here. But the American marketplace has has turned the page on him, unfortunately, and uh, the shareholders decided to to take advantage of of the offer, and and uh, that was their choice. Now, with that being said, there are clauses with Super Saver when he's done breeding, or if some, you know, he is. He will be brought back to America, and, and Americans can go see their Derby winner again. But uh, from from a commercial and business standpoint, that's why the decision was made. That uh, I'm glad to hear that. I was curious if that part of the career gets looked after at at this stage, or if that's something that develops as it as it goes along. So the the days of being able to hopefully have uh, have him back home, at least in performing that that marketing role we were we were talking about. That there there's a chance to perhaps have the cake and eat it too. It sounds like absolutely, and and for somebody like yourself who's been out to old friends and seen the silver charms and. The other horses who have who have been pensioned and, and brought back to live out their days, and that's something that uh, I think we can all look forward to down the road for Super Saver to come back and, and be available for younger generations to see the Derby winner again when his career is over. So some of the metrics, obviously, that matter in in this decision making process, it obviously has to do with number of mares bred. In terms of a horse like Chrome. Again, we don't know the specifics of the financial deal, but what what numbers do you look at as somebody in the breeding industry to determine the relative success of a of a stallion? Does it have to do with um, the, the sales average? How do you how do you figure that out if you were just having an objective conversation about it? Well, I think if you're looking at a horse in in this situation, uh, definitely, I think the fever for his first crop at the sales or lack thereof would be a very um you know that would be a, a large deciding factor um and, and we didn't you know chrome had had a solid average but was definitely overshadowed by several other horses in, in the same crop um 
So, and, and like you said, I, I mean, it must have been a, a very good offer for, for them to, you know, he was a $40,000 horse when he came in and, and obviously bred a, a large, good book of mares that first year. And so, uh, you know, it would not surprise you if, if they come out and they, and they run, you know, up to run very well as two-year-olds this coming year. And maybe they'd have to go do what we did with Take Charge Indy and bring them back if there's, if there's that, uh, ability obviously they did it with inmate empire maker who left to go to japan and came back after he had uh much you know many grade one winners etc so um it's you know it's it's a just plain and simple it's a very difficult decision uh regardless to, to sell these horses especially when you know they are homebred derby winners or they are kentucky derby winners it's not a decision that's taken lightly and it's not a decision that's made rapidly California Crump, there's few horses that have such a connection to fans as California Crump. People are just nuts for that horse. So I, I guess I understand on an emotional level, folks not so happy that he's not. They're proud USA Racing fans, many of them. They want to see him here. But, you know, maybe it's also an opportunity, as I saw somebody mention on Twitter, to follow a little bit more racing around the world. It is becoming more of an international game in a lot of ways. And it just makes sense that people around the world are going to want, if, if there's dirt racing especially, they're going to want to breed to these American sires. We've seen the impact that our blood has had all over the world. And, I mean, I don't want to tell the California Chrome fans to get over it, but I want—I just want to point out that uh, th th there's a lot of things going on here, and you know, hopefully, we'll we'll get to to see him succeed in his new role. Anything else on on this issue in general, Sean? Or words for the Chromies out there? No, I just think, like I said throughout the conversation, is is it's not an easy decision, um, you know. Anytime you make one of these decisions, you know that you're going to get a lot of the backlash and 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 Twitter and social media is going to storm um, for for a couple couple hours. And um, so, you know, it's not an easy decision. Um, and we you know, we do you know, they're made and, and in the contract stuff, it is is quite clear the standard. And look, at the end of the day, we wouldn't nobody would be selling horses to any of these individuals if they were not going to the the highest standard farms uh etc um in in these other countries and markets obviously japan we know is is, is a you know a leading marketplace and and both breeding and racing uh one of the top places in the world and and look turkey is turkey's really starting to emerge and and korea is starting to emerge and you know, had, you know, we see the marketplace in America shrinking, but we see it expanding in other areas. So um, we always say that this is an international business. And uh, so this is international trade, but it's, uh, they're not easy decisions. Um, but uh, but they do go to to the top notch farms and, and areas that uh, that these countries have to offer. All right. Good stuff there, Sean. Thank you for clarifying that. I had a bunch of questions in that regard. Let's talk about some horse racing, shall we? Uh, actual on-the-track horse racing happening at Churchill Downs. Now, the, the one question about this card, I suppose, is the weather. You said it hasn't been nice, and there's more not nice weather predicted between now as we record this Friday morning and when the race yeah, starts out. Yeah, we received uh, we received heavy rainfall earlier in the week. Um, 
hasn't rained yesterday or today, but but tonight uh, rain is coming in and it looks to be uh, quite ugly at Churchill tomorrow. So uh, if you're looking not to get ahead of it, but it looks like it's definitely going to probably be a sealed and off track and would be very surprised if if the turf racing stays on, if all the uh, the weather that that is forecast comes through, I believe they're calling for maybe one to two inches of rain here in, in at least the central Kentucky area. All right, with those weather conditions in mind, we'll probably leave the maiden races alone. Maybe we'll start off by looking at a couple of these allowance races, and obviously we'll get to the pair of graded stakes later in the card. Now, these allowance races, just by the fact that horses are electing to compete here rather than some of these late-season graded stakes, that tells you something. That's that's valuable signal. These are not horses probably sitting on monstrous efforts, or they'd be when, when, in terms of figures that are going to produce graded stakes results, or they'd be in those races. But you know, for various reasons, later developing type horses looking for a test to help move them up to that graded stakes level early next year. There's a lot of reasons why you can still have some really good horses in these spots, but I wouldn't expect fans to look at these um, looking for horses that are ready to beat the world right now. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, uh, you know, Churchill over the last several years has has put together the, the Stars of Tomorrow program where opening day right after Keeneland, they have a full day of two-year-olds and certainly this this race the day before the closing day, another full day, uh, great races. Um, but you know, these allowance races give some horses that are lightly raced, uh, that opportunity, you know, early in the year, if you break your maiden, you have to go straight into stakes races and these races, a horses that's lightly raced. This is an opportunity, um, to run, uh, against winners, but not have to jump, jump all the way into the deep end. And especially with young horses, having those options of, of conditions is, is good. You're trying to, to build confidence in these horses and you're trying not to, you know, have them have to run their, their eyeballs out uh, so early in their career and, and, and build and, and build uh, their strength and confidence and, and physically. So I, these, these races are fun. You, you, you will see stakes horses come out of these races. Obviously it's not as deep of a field as the stakes races, but I do think a couple of these races have some very intriguing horses in them. Let's start off by talking about the third race. There are a couple at the top of the market that look pretty interesting. I'm curious where your eye's going to go. We've got Black Cat Taps for Joe Sharp, installed as the 3-1 to one favorite, and Josie for Brad Cox right behind at 7-2. to two. Certainly the Brad Cox horse with the blinkers on. Um, looks like this horse has probably been breezing in blinkers. It's just firing bullet after bullet. Um, but in that, but the numbers aren't really increasing, running about the same type of numbers. Black cat tap, certainly if the weather, um, does what, what we're, what we're expecting it to do. This horse won by seven lengths last time over this track on a sloppy surface. It's come back to, to work very strongly again, a bullet over a sloppy track in 48-2 and two at Churchill. So that horse looks like uh, will absolutely relish the, the weather conditions. A horse that I have some interest in is the 6. Uh, has a very good wet number, 415 there, uh, if you're looking at the racing form. Has won over Churchill. Now, it's cut, she is coming back in, uh, in short rest, but uh, it's a filly that does not run on Lasix. So uh, should be able to bounce back quickly. 
if she's doing well, saw her gallop last week at Keeneland, and she looks like she came out of her last race well. She's got Corey Lannery, top jock, and Churchill back on. So, you know, certainly um, the Joe Sharp horse, having having run, won over the slop at, at Churchill, is a deserving favorite here. But uh, my eyes are, are going to be drawn to the six rising seas to, to maybe take another move forward. Doesn't look like she would uh, dislike a, a wet track. So uh, I'm going to uh, – maybe that would be my exacta there. I like the sound of that. Rising Sea is also 7-2, to two, set co-second choice along with Josie. And I love that point you make for the horse players listening, the point about Lasix. And that's something I've talked to trainers in the U.K. about as well, the idea that not running on Lasix definitely can help them to bounce back quicker in a lot of instances. The racing can sometimes take less out of them. And so maybe that those 14 days are not a concern. Uh, I think it's 14, maybe it's 16 days. Uh, but anyway, coming back pretty quick for a USA horse, the six rising seas, but maybe some reasons to uh, to be able to do just that. Looking back through this card, the next allowance race goes as the sixth. Did you have anything in this one, Sean? Uh, you know, I, I think the, the Wayne Lucas horse, uh, American Butterfly, the sixth horse, um, is, is the horse that's dropping down in class. It's coming out of multiple grade ones and was only beaten three lengths uh, in the street since here at Churchill, uh, which I think those top three finishers in, in that race uh, are, are quite good horses. South Bend, who's undefeated, is going to come back in the jockey club on the same card uh, a couple races after this race. Uh, flying CB is is fighting CB is already a, a stakes winner and, and ran second in, in there. So this horse, based on uh, class, certainly looks like um, he kind of has that. You know, will will quite like the uh, the drop in class back to to an allowance company. Uh, certainly, the ten horse Bango on the outside uh, makes quite a bit of sense, having just broke his maiden at Churchill with an eighty buyer. Uh, he's been competitive in, in many of his races. Looks like it just ran against a couple of tough, tough horses. Um, pro- like the outside draw in this situation. Uh, but, you know, that was a big step forward in, in buyer speed figures. Uh, in its last race, nearly a 20-point jump from the previous race. So uh, we'll see how that horse handles uh, first time against winners. And then uh, the 11 on the outside, uh who is still a maiden, but is entered in this race. So we'll see what Asmussen does there. That's interesting. Uh, with Little Menace. So, uh, but that horse is also entered back in on Sunday in uh, in a race. So I would expect that horse to probably scratch. Gotcha. Look, look, going against maidens on Sunday instead in in is a reasonable possibility for that one. Uh, holding your feet to the fire, if I forced you to make a top selection in here, would it be American Butterfly? I would have to say yes. Um, I, I don't see any, you know, horses competitive. Uh, D. Wayne Lucas, he, he likes to win races, and, and this is a good spot. I think it's just, it's. I think this is a situation where he certainly could have probably run against uh, the stakes horses again, uh, but knowing that he has a horse with talent. Um, I think this this class relief here, he should uh, – I, I could see him going off an extremely heavy favorite. Feels like a more realistic spot than the graded stakes. From my point of view, horse seems to fit the spot very well. But it's interesting. We could see all kinds of horses stepping up for the various reasons we were talking about earlier, just that the very nature of an allowance race at this time of the year um, suggests – 
that there there could be some uh, could be some interesting results. I, I I could see I could see a whole world of things happening. So I don't know. As, as a heavy favorite, I might be inclined to lean towards one of the others you mentioned, but certainly a likely winner. With that, yeah. let's let's move on to race number seven. We were talking about this one for half a second at least off air. Uh, there were a couple your eye was drawn to, as I recall. Yeah, I think you have to uh, give the two horse Swiss Skydiver. Uh, a big chance here. Obviously ran a big number, uh, 76 buyer when winning by five lengths. Uh, but that, once again, this horse is coming back. This horse ran on the 16th of November and is coming back uh, basically two weeks uh, rest to run here. This is probably a situation where uh, you can run in an allowance race um, and and over a track that you already, already won on. And you're stabled right there. Take advantage. I mean, if you look, it's a ninety-seven thousand dollar purse. Basically, like running a stakes race. If you look at purse, so yeah, it's a great looks point. like what McPeak is, is is taking his chance to do here. Uh, certainly, Daredevil himself uh, won won two monster races over the slop. So, so you would think that uh, the breeding suggests that that this horse would take the slop. But uh, I'm drawn and very excited for a, a filly on the outside, uh, the number nine horse, Bayerness, with uh, Florent Giroux aboard. Um, this filly was was a filly that uh, I was in love with at the Mid-Atlantic Timonium sale. Uh, she actually went through, I believe, the OBS March sale made our shortlist and then went back through uh, the Timonium sale and just – I, I ran out of pocket change. She, David Gordo got it for I think uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars here. She was just she was a stunner on the end of the shank. Um, looks like a filly that's going to love to to stretch out, and uh, we'll see if she runs with with the track conditions the way they're going to be. Uh, she broke her maiden first time out by four lengths for Sherry Devoe at uh, at Keeneland. So she's got she's coming off about five and a half six weeks rest here into her second lifetime start. I love that she's running in this spot as opposed to a stakes race. And uh, I was a big fan of her at the, at the two-year-old sale, and, and certainly uh, she proved to all the other fans uh, of her at the sales and the rewarded uh, the, the trainer and, and, and agent for buying her. And and I'm very excited to see her move forward and see what she does against winners. This is, this is a filly that I think uh, could have a big future and, and in store for her this coming winter and spring. I love that. Carefully handled with future goals in mind. And I think if anything, you undersold the debut, Sean, because this was a race where not only did she win by four and a quarter, but she had a, a difficult beginning and the pace was slow. And still, none of that deterred her. You'd almost have to think she's going to come on for that run. And a fairly juicy 5-1 to one on the morning line there as well. We'll see if that price materializes. We'll see what the track conditions like and what they decide to do. But I would recommend for the horse players out there and the listeners in general, if you weren't already aware of Byerness and her potential to uh, use your, your Equibase uh, – stable watcher uh, tool to to go ahead and make sure you follow her. Let's move to the graded stakes portion of the card. It starts with race number nine, the golden rod. A couple of runners here we've talked about before, but uh, who do you think is going to prevail on Saturday? Um, I'm drawn straight to the four horse, Bean. This is a filly, uh, once again, uh, we very, know the family very well. Uh, her half-sister, Overture, is a great stakes winner. Uh, she's by congrats. So same sire line here is Bernardini. Uh, the mayor, Takadova, is a multiple-grade stakes producer. Uh, 
Uh, certainly, she uh, she lost the rider in her last start, uh, which, which where she was the um, favorite. So, so obviously, you, you draw a line through that, and that was going to be her first start on uh, conventional dirt, her, her first two coming on synthetic. She won her maiden uh, quite impressively um, there at Arlington Park, 86 buyer, came back. Now, if you don't know who New York Groove is, the filly that won the Presque Isle race, put her in your equivalent. She has come back to win another stake race since the Presque Isle race. She is four for four lifetime and is a filly that I think uh, is under the radar that many people aren't probably aware of, but she could be a, 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 a nice three-year-old filly when the calendar turns here. Um, so Bean was beaten by a nice filly who, you know, she had traffic trouble in that race as well and then lost to Jockey the next. I love her at 12 to 1. I love her with Florent Giroux. Um, has come back and, and worked since losing the rider back at, at Ravelli's uh, home track of Hawthorne. So that is where I am going to uh, try to beat this field with Bean at 12 to 1. <laughs> I love, I love her stretching out around two turns. I love the Bernardini over the wet surface. Um, Certainly, finite is one that you have to give plenty of respect to, but she's a Munnings and trying to stretch out to two turns for the first time. And uh, I, I'm going to take Bean and uh, and try to beat this field here at 12 to 1 on the morning line. I like the sound of it. Finite will be loose, I would think. Conditions to possibly get every inch of ground that you can get, but I would feel a little bit better maybe uh, later on for a Munnings going this far. Of course, you do have tap it on the bottom. Finite, very live, but there's also no reason why exacta players can't cover Bean at that big price with a little bit of finite over Bean in the exactas. And as for New York Groove, I can't believe I've been unaware of a horse with that name. Of course, that's the song we use to start off our Naira Betts show. And, you know, I'm a big Ace Freely slash Kiss guy anyway. Where's How have I been sleeping on New York Groove, Sean? Well, you know, Pete, you got to get up a little bit earlier and, and read the Thoroughbred Daily News, and uh, you know they put stakes for some faults in there when they happen. Fair enough, fair enough. We'll call that. We'll chalk that one up as a host fail, and we'll we'll move on to race number eleven on Saturday. Goes at five fifty six Eastern. The Kentucky Jockey Club. And this race takes on outsized importance because this might just be the race that determines who our two-year-old champion is. With Tis the Law making an appearance here for Sakatoga and Barkley Tag, is anybody beating this horse on Saturday, Sean? Well, look, I, I, I don't think it's going to be an absolute walkover. Um, I do expect him to go off even money or better. He's 7-5 morning line. Um, and I do think that, that, you know, being by constitution of a Tisnow mayor, he should handle the uh, off track very well. Certainly on numbers, he stands over the majority of this field. Uh, but I do think you have to give a lot of respect to uh, the four horse South Bend, who is uh, three for three to lifetime. Uh, this will be his first time around two turns. And uh, certainly you also have to probably uh, give think that uh, the two fighting CB, uh, who was only beaten the length by South Bend, could, uh, could figure here. Um, and maybe the one horse coming out of the grade one, Breeders Futurity. Obviously, Maxfield and Governor Morris, I think, are two highly respected horses. Uh, and he was beaten six lengths there, but uh, could, could make a move forward. 
Uh, he has experience going two turns. Um, but uh, I, I think tis the law, this could be a, a big single. And and uh, if he does win, I do think that makes him the two-year-old uh, male champion for this year. Unless something else strange happens later in the year, I guess, with uh, what do we have left? We've got the... We've got those the, the Los Al Grade One. I don't know. Well, the Los Al the Los Al Manitos Fraternity is downgraded now to a to a Grade Two. So, oh, interesting. Um, you know, there are no more Grade Ones available. Okay. So, uh, you know, Tis Law has his Grade One. Uh, you know, we've talked before that that Structor is three for three and a Grade One Breeders' Cup winner, and he probably is a deserving horse to discuss. And uh, now, Storm the Court comes back and wins the Los Alamitos. Uh, Futurity, that's a grade one and grade two on his resume, which which says the law would have here as well, including the Breeders' Cup win. So, you know, I mean, how what does the Breeders' Cup races wait? I think that's the big question. If we if that's considered to be your championship races, if Storm the Court does come back and win the Los Alamitos Futurity and did win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, does does that make him champion? Uh, certainly, it it will be a, a big political push for uh, for for horses to be named that two-year-old champion if both of them come and win uh, over the next couple of weeks. It'll be interesting. I would think if Storm the Court wins another graded race with anything resembling a, a, a good effort, it'd be very hard to deny based on the Breeders' Cup win. However, if he's done for the season and Tis the Law were to win this one, Tis the Law is also – he's just one of these horses he's had a he, – he's, he's had some buzz about him since the – the very first start i remember talking to maggie wolfendale over the summer long before the the champagne and just asking who's your favorite two-year-old you've seen up here and i remember her saying it was at that point anyway tis the law it's going to be an interesting story to follow it's the stuff that podcasts are made of sean and we'll no doubt get to debating it endlessly should tis the law do the business here but i mean you make a good point on numbers horse like south bend not that far behind this is not going to be a walkover for tis the law but i'm excited to see what he's got under the hood and it'll be fun to talk about no matter what happens and we'll probably do that on we'll either do that on this show next week or we'll talk about it over on the in the money players podcast because it is one of the very interesting late season stories as we get closer and closer to eclipse time anything else sean that you want to talk about from the world of sales or breeding or racing out on the track before we get on with our Thanksgiving weekends here? No, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, anyone who's mating mares and looking for seasons, we're in, we're in full, uh, full blast here, uh, booking mares up for, for 2020. Uh, we have some exciting new stallions at Windstar this year. Obviously audible who's, who's by into mischief, uh, is, is one of the best looking horses you can see on the end of a shank grade one winner. Gorgeous uh, Yosh- Yoshida is, is an absolute stunner on the end of a shank and, and what an athlete and, and what a resume he has as being a, a grade one winner of both dirt and turf and, and being by a champion sire of hearts cry, his granddaddy Sunday silence is a champion sire hearts cry is a champion sire. I mean, he's out of a, a track record setting, uh, grade one winning mare and Hilda's passion. So, What's to say that Yoshida isn't primed to be a, a champion sire himself? And and certainly uh, Take Charge India is back in uh, the United States. You know, we let off the show discussing how horses are, are leaving the country. Well, here we are. We, we, we brought back uh, the leading third crop uh, sire in Take Charge India. He just had uh, a top-level filly of his, Motion to Motion, win the Zia Park Oaks uh, this past week. So three very exciting uh, young horses to, to be showcasing here and uh, – 
certainly if, if you're trying to make mating plans, come out and see us at, at Windstar, and, and we'd love to show you some stallions. It's an amazing facility to, to, to check out, that's for sure. I'll pause on Yoshida for a minute because he has such a rich history with us on the podcast. How much does it help in marketing a stallion like that that he brings this other blood, this old-school USA blood via Sunday Silence back into the gene pool here? Does that make him easier to sell? It actually uh, – it's making it. I don't want to say it's making it more difficult, but um, you know, Sunday Silence is generations removed, and and you know, a lot of people just aren't aware of of Hearts Cry's achievements as a sire. Interesting. And so, and you know, with really very few horses by Hearts Cry, if if, if any other than Yoshida coming to America, it's really trying to re-educate and and reaffirm everyone's belief that like, look, this is the Sunday Silence blood. Hard's cries a champion, sorry. He just had the Japan Cup winner out of an American mare by Unbridled Song. Yep. He's had multiple grade one winners across the world, including the Cox Plate in Australia this year. Like he's a he is a top notch stallion. Like if he if he would be a tappet, a quality rogue, a union whoever you want to say is your top sires here in America, he is the equivalent to those. And it's like breeding to a son of one of the best American stallions. Yep. He just happens to stand in Japan. So it's, it's, it, but look, once, once people get their, their heads wrapped around it and they understand it and, and they get it and it clicks and, and look, it, it, it works. And this horse was, would traveled all over the world. I know we talked about his resume here in America where he's a multiple grade one winner, but he was only beaten a length in the Queen Anne stakes at, at Royal Ascot. There was probably 28 horses or who knows what was in the field. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, really, really top notch class, classy, you know, horses are able to do that and then come back and win a grade one after traveling across the world. We talk about all the time where horses go over to Dubai or go over to Ascot and then you never hear from them again. Well, this horse, for three straight years, competed at the grade one level everywhere in the world. So uh, um, he's something that we absolutely need in our gene pool here in America, soundness, uh, classiness. And uh, and so I, I, I'm very excited for this horse. And when people get out and see him, they are they are wowed by him. He is just he's a real, real specimen on the end of a shank. Very, very cool. Glad for that update on our old pal Yoshida and really curious to see how that storyline goes. I could see him being appealing to folks all over the world, really, with his uh, with his pedigree and combination of achievements. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. I will thank you, Sean Tugel, one more time, and I want to thank all of our listeners and wish everybody a happy rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer, who will be back on this show one day, he was just traveling today, is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.